Now apparently it's, it's a billionaire is what you, what you got to be and what you strive for. And I think that very much characterizes and reflects the, the society, the culture we live in. It's more and more and more, right? It's never enough. So today we'll talk about generosity because that's what Second Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 talks about. And by the way, I'm aware that we did talk about generosity about four months ago. And this, this might seem a little repetitive, but, but since we're preaching through Second Corinthians and chapter 8 and 9 is all about generosity, we, we have to address it again. So how does generosity fit in a culture that tells us, me, 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 more, more, more? How does that fit? See, the problem is that in this song, for example, it you know, wants to be a millionaire. The, the motivation for that was all me. I want to do this and that and this. There was nothing about, well, if I have this, I can do this with world hunger. And I can do this with AIDS and I can help here. It was all me, me, me. 31 times in this song, it says I. I statements, I this, I that. See, the problem is not having a lot of money. That's not the, a problem in itself. The problem is what that money often does to our hearts. And as a result of, of that is what we do with our money. That's the problem. Our culture tells us that the more we have, the happier we will be. Isn't that the message we hear all the time? The more you have, the happier we'll be. And interestingly enough, reality and life experience shows us the opposite. That that is not true. I, I looked at several stories about uh, people that have won the lottery. I mean, the, the whole wanting to have more, wanting a piece of the cake leads to lotteries being so popular, right? And who, who doesn't want to win the lottery? You know who doesn't? People who've already won it. A lot of them. If you look and research stories of people who have won the lottery, their life often spirals out of control. I just have two examples. A guy called William Post. He won $16.2 million in the Pennsylvania lottery in 88. Today, he lives on Social Security. He said, I wish it never happened. It was a total nightmare. He spent a, a time in jail for firing a gun at a bill collector. Within a year of winning over $16 million, within a year, he had $1 million in debt. That's what money can do to you. And one more example. Winning the lottery isn't always what it's cracked up to be, says Evelyn Adams, who won the New Jersey lottery not just once, but twice in back-to-back -back years. All right? 85 and 86. She won a combined 5.4 million. Today it's gone, and she lives back in her trailer, in her mobile home. Right? Oftentimes, having much is not what it's cracked up to be. It doesn't lead to more happiness or to more satisfaction. And if you've watched Lost, who watched Lost over the last few years? Then you know what it did to Hurley, right? Wasn't all it was cracked up to be for him either. And I ask myself, why is it? I mean, common sense would tell us, yeah, the more money you have, the more content, the more satisfied you should be. You know why I think that isn't true, isn't the case? Because that money often makes us so self-centered. However, part of God's creation design for you and me is to be generous. 
That's, that's how God created you and me. I know we don't feel that way oftentimes, but we'll look into that a little bit later. It's part of our creation design. It's part of our DNA. And it, if we live at odds with the way that God created you and me, we cannot have a fulfilled life. In fact, our life will become destructive if we live at odds with how God created you and me. An interesting dynamic when it comes to belongings and, and um, generosity is that oftentimes the more we have, the harder it gets to be generous. Have you experienced that? Often the, the most generous people are the people who have the least to give. Not, not always, but in general that is true. I have a little story to illustrate that. A guy called Leighton Farrell, he was a minister at a Baptist church in Dallas. He tells of a man in his church who once made a covenant with a former pastor that both of them would commit to tithing 10% of their income every year. So they made this covenant together. They were both young and neither of them had much money. But things changed. The layman in his first year tithed $1,000 because he made $10,000. Later on, he wrote a check. Another year, he wrote a check for $10,000 because he had earned $100,000. Later on, he wrote a check for $100,000 because he had made a million that year. And he did that happily. However, the year he earned $6 million, he just could not bring himself to write a check for $600,000. He called the minister who had moved on to another church by now and asked to see him. He went to visit him, walked into his office and begged him to let him out of this covenant that the two had made with each other. This tithing business has to stop. It was fine when my tithe was $1,000, but I just cannot afford $600,000, even though he'd have 5.4 left over. I don't get it, but you've got to do something, pastor, he, he begged. The pastor knelt on the floor and prayed silently for a long time. Eventually, the man said, what are you doing? Are you praying that God will let me out of this covenant to tithe? No, said the pastor. I'm praying for God to reduce your income back to the level where $1,000 will be your tithe. Because <laughs> <laughs> huh? obviously, it worked then. The more we have, the more we get, the harder it can become to be generous. So what I want to do now with you is really dive into this chapter 8 and 9 and see what does God have to say about generosity? What's the, the, his thinking behind that? What does it do to us? And there's three truths that I, want to, that I want to talk about this morning that kind of jumped out at me as I was looking at these passages. Three truths about generosity. And I hope that I can just come at it from a little bit of a different angle than we did a few months ago um, to keep it fresh. But I want to first go back into chapter 8 here with you and read a few verses again. Um, again, open your Bibles, if you have them, to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I'm going to read the first 12 verses with you and then just kind of pick a few verses to highlight. All right, he says, And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trials, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability entirely on their own they urgently pleaded with us for this for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints and they did not do as we expected but they gave themselves first to the lord and then to us in keeping with god's will so we urged titus since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part 
But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. All right. The first truth that jumps out at me, at me reading this is this, and that is that generosity has nothing to do with quantity. Generosity and giving generously has nothing to do with quantity. He said out of, out of the Macedonians, extreme poverty welled up rich generosity. He tells me they didn't have much. They were extremely poor. If you're extremely poor, quantity-wise, you don't have much to give. Yet even though they didn't have much to give, there was extreme and rich generosity. That tells me the amount they gave didn't matter. Later on here in verses 11 and 12, uh, he said, finish the work. In verse 12, your willingness is there. If your willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has. See, the quantity doesn't matter, but what does? The heart matters. The heart attitude that we give with matters. As long as we have a heart's attitude of generosity according to what has been given to us, that is what God cares about. And I think it's because being generous, God's call to us to be generous, I think has much more to do with working on our heart as a giver than it actually does with who and how much they receive. Does that make sense? Generosity is much more about the heart of the giver than what the recipient actually receives. That's why the heart is so much more important to God than the quantity of what we give. That's why generosity has very little or nothing to do with quantity. It says they gave beyond what they were actually able to give. What that tells me, they gave more than was rational, than seemed possible for their survival. And that reminds me of another story that I know I shared a few months ago when we, when we already talked about generosity. And that's a story in Mark chapter 12 of the widow, the widow's mite. Jesus and his disciples were at a synagogue and just kind of observing. And they saw several wealthy people put lots of money into the offering, which was great. Then a, a poor widow came up and she put two little coins, little mites we call them, worth less than a cent. And she put both of those coins into the offering. And Jesus said, she's given more than anybody else because quantity didn't matter. He said, she gave everything that she had. Now, who could afford that? <laughs> who can afford giving everything that we have? I, I can't afford giving everything that I have. It's irrational, isn't it? But you see, that's what generosity is. Generosity is irrational. And we need to realize that God sometimes expects irrational things from us. Sometimes he will ask us to do things that are irrational. Sometimes he will ask us to give irrationally, to give beyond what makes sense. 
Now, God's given us a brain and he wants us to love us, love him with our mind and he wants us to use common sense. But he never wants our common sense to overrule his calling in our lives. And there's clearly times where he's calling. We see it all through scripture. We see it in, in real life today that God calls us to do things that are irrational. And I, I want to give you an example out of my own life. I, I hesitate to do it because I really, what I do not want is elevate myself to sort of look what I did. I, but, it, but it is my life's experience. It's part of what God is teaching me in the process of becoming generous. And I'm far from having arrived. But I, my wife and I learned one lesson last year that hopefully will help continue to steer us down that direction of being willing to follow God even when he seems to ask irrational things. Last year we took a trip as our family vacation back east all the way to South Carolina. We drove there, um, drove there by car back and forth and visited friends, mostly friends that were, had been missionaries with us in Germany who had been back in the States for one year to continue to raise funds for their ministry before going back. So we visited them, and we just encountered a lot of need. And, and uh, just they were really struggling to raise the funds that they needed, and we felt we were really maxed out with our giving and, and our giving beyond our tithing. And, and I remember on our way back home, we were just so overwhelmed. And, and both my wife and I felt we really feel we need to give beyond what we are right now. And I, I'm the guy like, oh, we can't. We can't. It's too much. We can't. And my wife said, are you sure? Isn't there something we could cut out? And we, so this was just us. All right. This, this does not mean that this is what God's calling you to do. But we felt clearly the only way we can cut something out and give more where there is a need was to not pay into retirement. And at the time, we felt very clearly that's what we needed to do. And so we committed to doing that. At the same time, we felt God calling us to adopt. And again, we felt, man, how is that going to work? You know, that meant my wife couldn't work anymore. We would lose a little bit of her income as a substitute teacher. And, and plus, we didn't have a dime for adoption. But we felt God calling us. And we, we sat down one evening and said, God, we feel you're calling us to do this. We're willing to pursue it, even though it doesn't make sense for us as a family. But if that's what you want, we'll pursue it. But you have to provide. And this all happened within a week from our conviction to give more to our friends who are missionaries to the uh, pursuing adoption. Within a day of us committing to adopt, within a day, God brought two men into my life that I didn't even knew existed who both felt God laying on their heart to pay for someone's adoption who didn't have the money to do it. And they provided for our adoption and now we have little Kobe. All right? Now, again, it was part of our learning process of, of following God and making irrational decisions because we felt him calling us. See, God will never ask you to do something that doesn't make sense without then providing for it. But we've got to have a willingness to do what doesn't seem to make sense, to do what seems irrational, if God is calling us to do that. And there's incredible blessing in following God down those roads. It's really cool what he says about the church in Macedonia here as an example to the Corinthians. He says, they did this entirely on their own. It wasn't that we had to go there and beat this into them. You got to give to the church in Jerusalem. You got to give to them. You got to give. They saw the need. The church in Macedonia who was struggling themselves heard about the need of the church in Jerusalem. Their hearts were moved. They sensed God's calling and they were willing to follow it beyond reason. 
and they pleaded for the right to do so. You know why? Because they knew God would be faithful to them if they would be faithful to following him and being generous. It's incredible what God will put into motion if we are really starting to be committed to him and following him down that path. So what do you think is the secret to coming to the point to be willing to do that? What was the secret for the Macedonians in their own poverty to beg for the right to be generous beyond reason? I think we find that in verse 5 of chapter 8 here. Paul says, they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Again, giving generously has nothing to do with quantity it has to do with giving but before it has to do with giving anything of you know monetary value it has to do with giving of ourselves to what to jesus first and then to each other the secret for the macedonians to be able to look beyond their own needs was because they put jesus first and then not themselves but then others and then themselves that's the secret to living generously. Living generously means living selflessly. It's Philippians 2, I think, where, where it says, do nothing out of selfish ambitions, but, but consider the needs of others as more important as your own. That can only happen if, as the Macedonians, we first and foremost give ourselves fully to Jesus, and out of our love and commitment to him comes then a love and commitment to the people around us, the people that God puts in our lives and the needs that they have. That's the secret to living generously. And living generously, not just with our money. Obviously, that's often a focus because our heart is often so attached to our money. But what he's talking about is giving generously, giving generously of our life. Giving generously as a husband of our time to our wives. Giving generously to the needs in our community. Giving generously of our time, of our attention. Giving generously of our abilities to those that, that might be in need of them. Giving generously of, of our resources. Generosity has nothing to do with quantity. It has everything to do with our heart's attitude and our heart's attachment. See, if our heart is wrapped up in Jesus, it won't be wrapped up in our stuff. If our heart is wrapped up in Jesus, then it will automatically be drawn to the people in need around us and it will free us up to be generous with them. In, in verse 8 of chapter 8, Paul says something really interesting. Let me read that again. He says, I'm, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So he says, this is what the Macedonians have done. What are you going to do? And it's not so much about comparing themselves. Oh, the Macedonians gave this. We need to give that. That's not the issue. But he says, the giving that I'm seeing in Macedonia is a clear sign of their unbelievable love for Jesus. And he says, Corinth, the way you respond here will be a really clear sign of your love and your sincerity in your commitment to Jesus. See, our generosity, your generosity, my generosity, our generosity as a church is a telltale sign of, our, of the extent of our love and commitment to Jesus. That's what Paul is saying here. 
the way we give, our generosity or lack thereof, reflects our heart's attitude. It reminds me of a story in Acts 5, a story of Ananias and Sapphira, a couple. They were part of the very early church in Jerusalem when for the most part they actually shared everything in common because of the cultural setting that they were in. And Ananias and Sapphira sold everything they had, kept a large portion, which was okay. There was no pressure or expectation. They, kept, they took one portion, gave it to the apostles and said, here, this is everything we got for our, for our belongings. So the issue here was, was not <laughs> that, they, that they gave a smaller portion, which could have still been of incredible value. The problem was that they lied about it. And why did they lie about it? Because their heart was more attached to their stuff and their own reputation than it was to Jesus. Had they been honest about it, no problem. The thing is, God revealed what happened to, to Peter. He confronted them. And let me just say, there was harsh judgment. God judged Ananias and Sapphira harshly. Not because they kept some money, but because of their hard attitude and deception. See, it's not about quantity. It's about our heart and our devotion and the sincerity of our love towards Jesus. has nothing to do with quantity. But there's one practical thing that generosity has to do with, and that is intentionality. Generosity will never happen by accident. Well, let me, sometimes it does. Maybe when you're at a, at a traffic light and there is people asking for money and you mean to pull out a dollar bill and you hand it out and by the time you drive off and you get to Starbucks, you realize you gave away your 20. <laughs> that's generosity by accident, but that's not generosity. All right? <laughs> Generosity does not happen by accident. Generosity is a commitment to a lifestyle of submitting to Jesus. It's a commitment that we make, and it needs to happen intentionally. Actually, in, in Acts chapter 1, in, in Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians, in his first letter in chapter 16, Paul actually gives them a, a plan of how to be intentional. When, when the Corinthians first committed to making this gift, he said, okay, now you've made this commitment now, here's how you can follow through on it. It's in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, verses 1 and 2. He said, now about the collection for God's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so when I come, we, uh, no collections will have to be made. So he says, okay, you want to be generous? You're committing to this? Then let's make it happen. Because you and I know commitments are quickly forgotten. <laughs> so let's be intentional about it. And this, what he's telling them really is the equivalent of us looking at our paycheck and saying, before I do anything else, this is what I'm giving you, God. And I give it cheerfully and joyfully and generously. It has got to happen intentionally. It's got to be a commitment of the heart. So again, generosity has nothing to do with quantity. Secondly, generosity always results in blessings. Let's read um, chapter 8 and 2 Corinthians and verses 13 to 14. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he who gathered much did not have, have too much, and he who gathered little did not, not have too little. So I went one first for, uh, further here to 15. 
See, generosity always results in blessings. Very obviously, it results in blessing to those who receive, right? Who's at the receiving end of someone's generosity. And if you have ever been there, I have. And boy, isn't that an unbelievable blessing to receive someone's generosity? It is refreshing and a blessing and it, it meets a need. It relieves. And he, he talks about equality here. And I want to just explain that real quick. Sometimes we read that and we think, oh, well, we're supposed to, it's, it's, this is setting up communism. We're supposed to all have the same. Nobody has more than the other person. And we're all completely equal. That's not what he's talking about. Even though that was practiced for some time in the early church, in, in Jerusalem especially. But what he's talking about here is, okay, you have more than you need. This person doesn't have enough. Well, you're plenty should provide it. What he's saying is within a body of believers, within our, but our body of believers here, just like it was true for Corinth, if there's people who don't have enough, well, they should be provided for by those of us who have more than we need. It doesn't mean I have to, we have to all pool and everybody has the same, but it talks about balance. We, can, we can't, how could one believer, one follower of Jesus, live in luxury and not be touched and respond to the needs of others? That's what he's talking about. And we try to put that into practice. So the receiver re, uh, is blessed. And then we read, you know, right now your plenty might receive, but you know what? That could change. <laughs> that could change. Maybe the person that's in need right now at some point will have plenty and will then be, be able to provide for you. And that's how generosity breeds generosity. It's contagious. Once you've experienced it, how could we not act on that and, and bless others? with our own generosity. But I think more so than the blessing for the receiver are their blessings for the giver. Again, I think generosity biblically is much more about the heart of the giver than the recipient of, of the blessing. And so we, we read here in Second Corinthians 9, verse 6, it says, Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It is very clear that if we live generously, that we will also reap generously. Now, that, that doesn't always translate, you give money, you get money. Okay, God's blessings are a lot deeper and more, more manifold and creative than just money. But it is very clear that God will bless the life of righteous people, of, of generous people who are generous out of their love for Jesus. And as you... Most of you probably know that, um, that we issued a challenge four months ago. When we last spoke on generosity and money, I spoke on generosity in here, I think, and then the week after, Dave spoke on stewardship. We talked about that passage in Malachi, where God, for the only time in Scripture, where he says, test me on this. I'm telling you, I'm, test me on this promise I'm giving. If you bring the tenth back to me, if you're willing to, to be faithful in giving one-tenth back to God, watch me open the gates of heaven and bless you with blessings that are too much for you to contain. Remember that? And we said, okay, if God says test me on this, why don't we test him as a church? And we issued this challenge. Would you commit to doing this for the next three months and see what God does? And I just want to tell you, it is unbelievable what, what God has done. And the stories that we're hearing back from, from many of you who made that commitment, who followed through, who were faithful to that, and who experienced God's faithfulness in return. And part of today is that we want to celebrate that. We want to celebrate your generosity and your faithfulness 
and then God's faithfulness in return to you and to us as a church. And to do that, I want to show you a quick video. We, we at least collected two stories of people that took up this challenge and shared their story of us, of what God did in their life. So why don't you turn your attention to the screens and watch this video quickly. I kind of believed in this idea of the prosperity gospel where if you do this and this and this, God will bless you in so many different ways. And so I kind of made this little checklist in my mind of things that I was willfully giving up, like sinful habits that I was crossing off of the list, and I expected good things to keep happening in my life. I would tithe irregularly, and by that I mean maybe like two or three times a year. Like I definitely showed up to K2 a lot and just let the bag pass me by. When my dad would talk to me about tithing or something, it was like, Adam, you need to tithe because like it's God's money, and I would just be like, he didn't earn it. I need to go spend this for me. Like It was all about me. As a waiter at one of the nicest steakhouses in the, in the city, it's really easy for me to put all the bills and have some extra money left over to spend and I would usually spend it on the things that I didn't really need to. I remember thinking to myself, you know, like a lot of people know that I'm a Christian and it's because of what I say, but like there's a, there's a part of me that really feels like money is my God. And I've always been thinking like, how am I going to get more money and how am I going to do it the way I want to? And when the tithing challenge came along, I was like thinking to myself, you know, I've made this much money in the past couple months. Like, I'm literally at a point where I can afford to give 10% away without any second thought as to where that goes. And I was like, okay, well, I need to make this commitment right now to give this money. Not because I feel compelled to, but because it's money that I don't really need and I'm blowing it on things that are pretty material, materialistic as far as most people are concerned. In the past three months now that I've been tithing regularly 10% and I have picked up a few other things that I figure are a good use of my money, I've been blessed tremendously. I, I can't even explain how good the past three months of my life have been. And it feels great making this money and knowing that I can comfortably give 10% away. And not only comfortably, but like willfully and like joyfully give it away. That's the best part. Like thinking, I made this much money tonight and all right, I get to give this much money away. That's exciting. It's really exciting actually. I've just been able to trust God a ton more, like a ton more. Like if I'm trusting him with money, which is generally the most important thing for anybody here on this planet, then I can actually trust him with some other parts of my life as well. Because like I've given him my number one or what would have been my number one and said, all right, I'm giving you this. This is yours to control. So I think he'll help me out in other parts of my life. And nothing really has happened, you know, like... I haven't won the lottery. I haven't found the girl of my dreams. I'm not making hundreds of thousands of dollars selling art, but I'm not worried about that anymore either. And the trust that I have in God that He is going to take care of me above and beyond what I ever thought was possible is awesome. 